purpose and goal of the message this morning is to show how the Lord Jesus Christ forever tied the institution of the Lord's Supper to the Passover in Exodus 12 from which it came. That's the purpose of the message. I'm going to read a couple of texts to you. First, in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the day, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Mark, let's fast forward. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, keep in mind, verse 12 says, And on, that, on the first day of unleavened bread, which they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will, we, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sends his two disciples forward. Now verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, note this, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now back in Exodus 12, we know that during the plagues upon Egypt, God one by one defeated the supposed gods of Egypt. Thus, when I read a while ago, when it came to the final plague, he said, God will execute his judgments on the gods of Egypt. So the first nine that you see are mediated out on the Egyptians because of their unbelief and their rebellion against the only God that exists. And so he's doing that by sending plague after plague. God is showing to them that he is the God of creation. And finally, God sets forth the deadliest plague of all. And that plague is the death of the firstborn. God said to Moses, On that same night I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. Now what God did to the Egyptians was no surprise. Because they defied the God of the universe. And they served other gods. What may be surprising, however, is how God treated the Israelites. So by engaging this particular passage together with the gospel accounts of the Lord's Supper, I want you to see how Christ forever tied the two of them together. There are three lessons that we find in this passage. Write these down. A, better, a little bit of ink is better than the best memory. And I think they're going to put them on the overhead for you. Here's, there's a lesson of the wages of sin. There's a lesson straight out of Exodus 12 of the wages of sin. Now, Egyptians, like the Egyptians, when it comes to the wages of sin, the Israelites were under the sentence of death as well. Now think about this. The same night that our God brought death to every house in Egypt, He was also going to visit every house of the Israelites. And unless they obeyed by faith, they also would lose their firstborn. The first nine plagues were not like this. They probably were shocked to hear that the destroyer, as God called him, claimed the right to come to the Israelites' homes as well. This was unlike any of the other plagues. The Israelites were able to watch from Goshen as all the other plagues were mediated out on the Egyptians. But when it came to this one, nobody was safe. No one was safe because they were just like the Egyptians. They were sinners. They have been, or perhaps were tempted to think, well, those old nasty Egyptians, they've had us in slavery for all those years. They deserve what's coming to them. But if God had not provided a way of salvation for the Israelites, every single one of them would have lost their firstborn. Children and animals. So the Israelites were just as guilty as the Egyptians. Thus, the wages of sin is death. Let me give you a few ways where the people of Israel had sinned against their God. Think about this. Number one, they rejected the word of God from his prophet. You ever done that? When God speaks to you directly from his word and you just say, Lord, or I'm not going to listen well, here is Moses, and he's come to the people. Uh, you, you know Pharaoh rejected it. 
uh, God said, go to Pharaoh, and, and Moses said, who am, I gonna who am I going to tell him sent me? And you remember the I am statement, I sent you, I'm the Lord God. But yes, Pharaoh rejected the word of the Lord, but what about the Israelites? They had barely made it out of Egypt when the people say, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, Moses. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill all of us. Exodus chapter 5, verse 21. So neither the Egyptians nor the Israelites would listen to the word of God. Here were two nations in one land of Egypt, but both were resistant to the word of God. And if God comes in judgment, none will escape. So that's the first reason. Here's the second reason they're sinners. They were guilty of idolatry. And so that sin is not specifically mentioned in Exodus chapter 12. But do you remember when Joshua was renewing the vows in Joshua 24? And it builds up to ask for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Before that, he says to them, Now throw away the gods that your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt and serve God alone. So Joshua gives this tidbit of information that, you know what? The Israelites... Uh, they fell in love with Egypt so much that they actually fell in love with their false gods. And Joshua gives us commentary about how that actually took place. So while in captivity, they grew to love the gods of Egypt. And for that sin alone, God would have been justified in sending a plague upon them. Here's the third reason. They were all sinners by nature. Right? Uh, not just their obedience to the word. Not just their idolatry to false gods. But they were sinners by nature. Apart from any particular sin they committed, God's people were sinners by nature. Their humanity meant that they participated in the guilt of Adam's race. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even if you didn't know the Exodus passage, you know that verse, don't you? In, in uh, Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the reason... That the avenging angel visited the Israelites. And the reason he visited the Egyptians, because they were all sinners. And sin, even though you, you won't hear anybody in America say this, for the most part, sin is a capital offense against a holy God. Every single time. So since Adam's sin, no generation has ever escaped going down to the grave. And the Bible explains it this way in Romans 5.12. Death came to all men because all have sinned. The tenth plague was a sign of God's judgment on all of humanity and their sinfulness. If all sinned, guess what here at FBCO? That includes you and me. We have all sinned against God and we will never see our need of salvation until we accept the reality that we are guilty just as everyone else before a holy and a righteous God. That's the first lesson. The wages of sin is death. Everybody get it? Here's the second lesson. There's a lesson of the Lamb of God. In His mercy, in this text that you just read, God will provide a way for His people to be safe. And the reason He visited his home, the homes of the Israelites was not ultimately to destroy them, but to teach them about salvation. To God be glory. To God be the glory for the Lamb, right? They would be saved. How? 
This may sound fascinating to some of you, but they're going to be saved just like the way you are, by grace, through faith. That's how they were saved. That's how, we, that's how all people have always been saved, by grace, through faith. What God's people needed was atonement, which God provided in the form of a lamb. A lamb offered as a sacrifice for sin. Gave them careful instructions, did he not? It may sound strange to us and archaic and uh, real weird to think about eating entrails. Which some of you have probably done that in foreign countries and you didn't know it, right? And there's all these specifications of what's supposed to take place. All these uh, instructions, how to choose the lamb, how to care for the lamb. And finally, in Exodus 1 through 6, how to kill the lamb. And each lamb, each household was to take its own lamb And specifically, as the text says, a yearling, it had to be perfect for the only sacrifice acceptable to our God is a perfect sacrifice. So the lamb had to be pure and spotless and sound and whole. And then God explained how you are to go about killing the lamb, to slay, or the lambs were to be slain. And then after that, important instructions on what you're supposed to do with it. What God required in salvation was the offering of a lamb. That is clear in this text. He also required a lamb in the days of Adam and Eve. You ever read that? He required a lamb in the days of Abraham. Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but Father, where is the lamb? Don't this play on the heartstrings of the Heavenly Father who would give His Son? And He says, There's the wood, there's the fire, but where's the lamb? And God Almighty said, God will provide or Abraham said of God, God will provide himself a lamb. Every year, God provided a lamb or a similar sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And that's called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would bring in an animal into God's presence and sacrifice that animal as a sin offering. That's found, and for the sake of time, we won't turn there, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15. Do you see a progression Regarding the Lamb of God, there's an obvious progression with the Lamb representing uh, larger and larger groups of people. At first, it was one Lamb for a person, and then it was one Lamb for a household, then it was one Lamb for an entire nation, and then a single Lamb with a tone for the sins of the entire world. As John the Baptist is standing there, Jesus approaches and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. God provided a lamb. And Revelation 13.8 reminds us that in the mind of the Father, the Son of God was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Think about that. We think, well, Jesus died in in our time-space continuum. Yes, He did. But in the mind of the Father, there's never been a time when the Son of God was not crucified for sinners. He was the lamb slain before he ever created the world. Wow. Fascinating. There's a lesson on the wages of sin, the lamb, and then also finally there's a lesson concerning the blood of the lamb, which is clearly given in the text. The Passover regulations explicitly required a blood sacrifice. They were commanded to slaughter the lambs in verse 6. And of course, there's no way you can slaughter a lamb without shedding blood. And once the lamb was sacrificed, they were to take that blood and paint it on the door 
and the door frames. And this too, according to the Bible, was absolutely essential because God said, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And that's not it. There's more to it. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Why was the blood so important? It represented the taking of a life. That's why the blood was important. So, notice two things about it. We're going to do a little theological lesson. You ready? We're going to talk about expiation and propitiation. Okay? Which, without those two, you may not know the words, but without those two, you're lost and on your way to hell. You don't have to necessarily know the two words and explain them, but you better be under the blood, and God's wrath has to be turned away from you in order for you to go to heaven. And in this, listen, notice two things. First, he says it will be a sign for you. What the blood signified to the Israelites, folks, track with me, was a substitution had taken place. Someone died in my stead. Their sin was a capital offense. God was coming in judgment. He was armed with a deadly plague. But when they looked up and they saw the blood of the Lamb... They knew their sins had been expiated. That means to cover their sins. The lamb was their substitute. By the way, the family would have fully identified with this particular lamb. As a matter of fact, it was kept in their home for four days, cared for, fed, and played with. And then it was slaughtered by the head of the household. Can you just think for a moment, use your imagination, do you think the kids ever came up and said, Daddy... Why the lamb? I mean, why are you going to kill this innocent lamb? And the dad would say, son, the lamb is our substitute. And this would happen for millenniums until Jesus would pay the price on Calvary on that day. For millenniums, they would say, daddy, why the lamb? Well, son, the firstborn did not have to die because a lamb died in his place. All over the land of Israel, wailing, mourning Egyptians at the death of their firstborn. But the children of God were saved by the blood of the Lamb. Expiation. God covered their sins. However, the text also says that it will be a sign. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not only... Are your sins covered? When you see it, you know you're safe. Your sins are covered. But when he looked in, he said, in effect, someone has died in this house. The penalty has been executed. The blood was the propitiation. What does propitiate mean? It means to turn the wrath of God away. It means to appease the wrath of God. Folks, you do understand that in our sinful condition, without the wrath of God being appeased, we would spend eternity in hell. That's how important The sacrifice of the Son of God is. The doorposts put blood between a holy God and a sinful people. The doorposts put blood between a holy God and a sinful people. When the people looked up, they saw expiation. My sins are covered. When God looked down, He saw they made propitiation. And thus His wrath was turned aside. Over the centuries, the sacrifice was repeated thousands and thousands of times. King Josiah 
If you've ever read 2 Chronicles 35, they celebrate the Passover. And the text, if you do the math, there were over 37,000 lambs slain on that day. Not including the bulls and other things. 37,000. Imagine all those sheep and all that blood. According to Josephus, extra-biblical writer, he said several hundred thousand lambs were herded through the streets of Jerusalem every single Passover. Wow. But here's the deal. It had to be repeated, right? And the Bible tells us that not even the blood of all those animals could atone once and for all for our sinful condition. All that blood, all that sacrifice, all those lambs could never fully atone for our sins. Yet in Hebrews, we read that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. That's Hebrews 10, 10, Hebrews 10, 4. What was needed was a more effective and efficacious sacrifice. We needed a more precious blood. What was needed was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal Passover lamb. Now, many theologians and uh, church members miss it at this point. They get squeamish about the blood. They say, well, yes, Jesus was a good teacher. Good example, yeah, may even be a good Savior, but I can't take all that talk about the blood. I want you to know today, if you're saved, you dwell under the beneath, you dwell beneath the blood mark. If you're saved today, you dwell beneath the blood mark. The New Testament says we've been justified by His blood, even given the forgiveness of sins. Jesus also suffered to make the people holy through His own blood. Hebrews 13, 12. You were redeemed... Not with the blood of bulls and goats and cows, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ without blemish and without defect. The reason for all this talk about blood is summed up in Hebrews 9.22. For without the shedding of blood, listen, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now the sign that we have a substitute is not blood upon a doorpost. It is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The substitute has been given. The payment for our sin has been paid, not in part, but in full. No more sacrifices. There's a reason why God destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., right? No more sacrifices are needed. The final sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price, and the Father has no substitute for the Son. The Son of God was the substitute. It was His blood and His blood alone. And when God looks at the cross, he sees the blood, he sees the cross stained by the blood of his own son. And God, again, he doesn't have a substitute for his son. His son is the substitute. Price has been fully paid. The blood on the cross has the power to save because it was the blood of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, the perfect man. What the blood of the Passover lambs could never do, could only do for a moment, Christ's blood does for all eternity. So what's the connection? The Bible says that Christ deeply longed to partake of the Passover with his disciples. And as he sat down on that night before his execution, he gave all these instructions about what to do. Prepare the room. Uh, a man's going to meet you right there and he's going to have the room ready. And as they celebrated this meal, roughly the same way they would have done for two millennia, Jesus Christ abruptly changed the formula. And it was no longer 
rehearsing how God take, took us out of Egypt and we celebrated with the bitter herbs and, and ate the things and the center of the table was what? A roasted lamb. And that's what happened. And, and dads would tell their children about the death of the firstborn and about how that God gave a substitute. But when Jesus stood that day, He said, This is my body broken for you. He changed the formula. This is not the blood of goats and calves put on the altar year after year that could never fully atone for your sin. This is my blood in the new covenant lifted up for you. Now instead of the blood of a lamb or a goat, his blood would be shed for them. In the Old Testament, God, the grace was that God provided a lamb, substitute for the people, and the faith was that the Israelites put the blood on the doorpost and they listened to the word of God. They trusted in the blood. You know, folks, you can't be delivered from sin without trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. Meaning His sacrifice on your behalf. He's covered your sin and Jesus has met the Father's standard of righteousness. You understand that you can't go to heaven without being righteous. How can a holy God ever allow sinful people into His presence? He can't. And that's why you have to have righteousness. And that righteousness cannot be given to you unless it's given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was our righteousness. And when you trust in him totally for salvation, repent and believe in him, he gives you a righteousness apart from the law. Why? Because you can't get righteous with the law. No matter how much you keep it. No matter how good of a person you think you are, righteousness only comes as a gift. And so this was the time when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Think about that. Two millennial, millenniums had gone by. And here's Jesus Christ in fulfillment on that very night, partaking of the Lord's Supper. And what's going on? Do you remember I said that there were thousands of lambs that were brought into the city at the Passover time? In Josiah's day, 37,000. This was the time, the very time on that day when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Fathers were preparing a lamb for each family. The high priest was readying himself and the sacrifice to go into the temple. And there was Jesus, our Passover lamb, dying in the place of his people. Have you ever thought about the interesting nature of Barabbas? I mean, the name Barabbas means, and some scholars will say this, they probably didn't even give you his name. Barabbas means the son of some father. Do you remember the story? Pilate is trying to release Jesus, and the people are saying, crucify him. And Pilate says, I'm going to give you a choice. It's Barabbas or Jesus. And we know that Barabbas was an insurrectionist, right? He was a zealot. He hated Roman bondage, so he murdered people. Remember when we were preaching out of Acts, and, the, and Peter is preaching, and he says, Pilate wanted to release him, meaning Jesus, and give Barabbas what he deserved for murder, but you wanted a murderer released, and you put the king of glory to death. Remember that sermon? Do I need to preach it again? Y'all remember that? Well, Barabbas was released. Now think about this for a moment. Do you think that on that day, Barabbas had any idea what was going on? You think in the darkness of that cell, you know, back in those days, you didn't get a four-square meal. You're in a hole. It's dark all the time. Do you think that day that he heard or, or felt sail unlock or 
the guard walked up to him and said, Barabbas, you're a free man. Free? I mean, I murdered. Why am I free? Can, can you imagine? Do you think he ever went out in the light of the day and walked up on the Via Della Rosa and watched as the Lamb of God carried the cross that he was supposed to carry? Barabbas is the only man in history wherein Jesus physically took his place. Died in his stead. But I want you to know, folks, when he was lifted up in the face of this earth, with arms spread wide, dying your death, he died spiritually in your place. He is our substitutionary atonement. Praise God for Jesus. Amen. Praise God for Jesus. At this moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation and going to give you a chance to respond. If you're lost today, you've heard the gospel. The gospel is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The call of God is by grace through faith. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I encourage you, on the authority of the Word, to repent and believe in Jesus only for salvation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will ever come to the Father except through me. For Christians, do some introspection. Who partakes of the Lord's Supper? Born-again believers. Those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you know you're lost this morning, I'd encourage you not to partake of it. But you know what? You can come to know Jesus right now and partake of the Lord's Supper today. Because Jesus saves. Let's stand. This is going to be a little different. The choir is going to sing the invitation. And you respond. I'll be down front. And as soon as this is over, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper as Christ instituted it.